Well, once again, Cedar Street Baptist Church, good morning. I do love you so very much. It's the joy of my heart to be with you this morning. Uh, it's kind of ironic saying this because the title of the message I'm going to be preaching today is The Patience of God's Presence, but I have been impatiently waiting to preach this message. Because I struggle with this, and I would imagine there's some other people in this church that struggle with it just as much as I do. In fact, uh, when I started this series, in fact, if you're joining us for the first time, we're getting towards the end of a sermon series that we have entitled Growing in the Presence of God. And we've been talking about what does it mean that God is present, that He is here, that He is with you? What does that mean? And we've talked about what that means. I'm not going to go through every single one because we're far enough along in the sermon series that it would take a good 10 minutes to recap everything. I will just say this. The first message kind of set the tone. In the first message of the series, we said there are two distinct dimensions about the presence of God. The first is this. The first is that God has a sovereign ruling presence over every square inch of the world, which means there's nowhere that you can go where God is not present. David says, I go all the way up to heaven. God is there. I go all the way down to the depths of Sheol. God is there. God is here. God is there. God's everywhere. So you, ha- you can say that God is everywhere at all times, past, present, and future. That's the general sovereign ruling presence of God. God rules every square inch of his existence. The great Charles Spurgeon used to say that there's not even one little dust mite that doesn't flutter to the ground without God saying so. He is everywhere at all times. But there's a second dimension to the presence of God, and that is God's relational fatherly presence. And that presence is not promised to everyone. Although God desires to have relationship with all of creation, that presence is sweet and abiding and powerful, and it's promised to those who have come to him through faith in Jesus Christ by the empowering Holy Spirit. That is the relational presence of God. And the reason we've been preaching this series is because you play an active role in drawing near to God as he draws near to you. We don't just sit on the pew and say, God, do whatever you're going to do. No, we actively worship God and there's things that we can do or not do that draw us closer to the relational presence of God or pull us further away from the presence of God. And we've been talking about that each week and now we're getting to where we are in week six of this sermon series. And again, our, our title is The Patience of God's Presence waiting for God to draw close to us. And as we do that, I like to ask this question. I always ask a question to prime the pump, get you thinking about what we're going to get into with the word. Here's uh, the question of the day. Which circumstances in your daily life do you struggle the most with patience? And that's a tacit assumption that everyone in this room struggles with patience in some way. I had to narrow my list down. In the essence of time, uh, I happen to think I have grown in my patience, but there are still some things I can, I really struggle with in patience. In fact, there are three things, laugh at me if you want to, and I'm sure you will, but there are three areas of my daily life that I absolutely struggle with patience almost every day. Number one, I struggle with patience when I am misunderstood. I have a white hot passion to be understood 
And since I was a little kid, I get incredibly frustrated when, when I'm trying to communicate something to someone, they don't understand what I'm trying to say. I, I, I just remember as a kid growing up, looking at my mother to the point where she would laugh at me. And when she laughed at me, it would make me more angry. I would just say, you don't understand me. You don't get what I'm saying. That is something I don't have patience for. And I have worked hard as a communicator, as a broadcaster, and as a writer to get more clear in how I say what I want to say because I want to be understood. I think God does too. He's a little more patient than me though. That's the first thing I struggle with. Second thing, when I lose something. And I always lose something at the time that I don't have time to look for it. Perhaps you're just like me. The time that you lose your keys, the time that you lose your cell phone or you lose your wallet or you lose that receipt when you got to take something back and you got to dig through five bags of trash to find it. When I cannot find what I am looking for, I become a different human being. It's like Lou Ferrigno becoming the Incredible Hulk. And then here's a third thing, and this one's just weird. It's just me. I'm not the most mechanical person in the world. But I get mad when there's a physical object that is stuck somewhere and I can't unstick it. And I'll tell you the number one thing. If you call me on my cell phone and I'm driving down the road and I'm wearing a pair of jeans and my cell phone is in my pocket, I will lose my mind trying to get that phone out of the pocket before it stops ringing. I get angry. It make, Ashley looks at me like, what is wrong with you? I said, I want that phone to do what I want it to do. I want it to come out of my pocket right now, but it's stuck. I can't get it. So there's, there's things that drive us crazy. We all wrestle with something different. Before, before you, you start condemning me, there are things that I'm probably really patient about that drive some of you crazy. I, I have learned as a pastor, if I respond to every phone call and every text mes message within five minutes of it getting to my phone, I'll never get a single thing done. So what I do is I sit down multiple times throughout the course of the day and I respond in batches. And that drives some people crazy. How dare you make me wait 10 minutes to hear back from me? But you're, you're just like me in other ways. There's something about sin that has made humanity really un impatient. We struggle with sin. Therefore, we struggle with uh, patience because we are dissatisfied with the amount of time and space that God has given us to do what he's called us to do. We say, God, I want it now. God, I need it now. God, you haven't given me enough time. You haven't given me enough space. You haven't given me enough of this or enough of that. Therefore, I'm impatient and I want it now because I may not have it later. We're impatient people. And guess what I've learned? I had a... Uh, I had a cousin when I first got saved, one of the few members of my family uh, who was a passionate Baptist, matter of fact. And I visited with him the first year I got saved, and he said, Bo, remember these words, God is the slowest person who is always on time. Isn't that true? Amen. God is not a day late in anything, yet to the world he seems like he's taking forever. Another way I've heard of it being said over the years is that we, uh, we worship a crockpot God, but we live in a microwave world. Man, crockpot takes a long time. But that's how God operates. And God does not have to adjust to us. We need to adjust to Him. Amen. He's the one who created us. And I, I think 
if you take those three things that I mentioned a few minutes ago, three things that I struggle with, and you readjust them with someone who's fully rooted in the identity they have in Jesus Christ and surrendered to the will of God, all of a sudden, God takes care of those things. When I am mad because I'm misunderstood, I find my identity in a God who knows every hair on my head. When I'm mad because I lose something, I remember that I have a God who knows all things, past, present, and future. In fact, where my car keys are right now. And when I have a physical object that is stuck and I just can't get it unstuck, I remember that God can do anything at any time. He's not worried about it, so why should I be? You see, our impatience is in direct relation to our working daily relationship with God. Someone who is close and abiding in the sweet presence of God doesn't have to be impatient because they have everything they need right with God who is right there. When we don't feel close to God, when we don't realize how close He is to us, we don't trust in Him, we don't lean in Him, that's when we become impatient. And this idea of the presence of God, God wants to draw close to us. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be thinking about Him every hour of the day. He wants us to say these words, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this awful phone call that I just got? Where are you in this struggle that I have at work? Where are you in the finances that I just don't even know how we're going to get to the end of the month? Where are you in this? He wants to use those situations to draw us close, but you cannot hit the fast forward button on God. It is only the ones who wait patiently and quietly for the presence of God who know God's presence when he fully shows up. So having said that, what's the big idea? As we walk through Psalm 62, we're going to be looking at a few passages, and I want us to wrap this idea around our minds, okay? Here's the big idea. To experience God's relational presence in our everyday lives, we need to learn God's patience as we discover God's purpose. We need to learn God's patience as we discover God's purpose. God is not slow. God is intentional. And we need to learn to be intentional the way that he is. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Psalms, right near the middle of your Bible. Okay, the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 566 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, his perfect word. Okay, again, we're in Psalm 62, a Psalm of David, and I'm going to be reading verses 5 through 8, and then we're going to walk through it word for word. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we confess to you that we are an impatient people.
We are not patient for almost anything in this world, and it's getting worse. But Father, You are a God who moves slowly and intentionally and is never hurried and is never rushed because You know all things past, present, and future. And Father, we try to get so far ahead of You. Would You help us today? Father, I, I, I plead with You I plead with you according to your Holy Spirit that you would take this message and make it real for us. For the people in this church today who don't even know why they're here, who don't think this Bible applies to them, who are struggling to the point they feel like they're drowning. Father, would you show us how real this word word is and, and that you would draw close to us if we would only be patient and silently wait for you to do your work. Help us, Father, I pray, as we search the truth of your word by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Psalm 62. Another Psalm of David. You know, when I think about wanting God to be present in my life, I think listening to David's a pretty good place to start. David was not a perfect man. But what, what do we remember David as in history? A man after what? God's own heart. He was after God's heart because he was after God's presence. He knew there was nothing better than to be in the presence of God. Now, when I think about David and I think about the context of this psalm, there's something interesting about Psalm 62. I don't want to get too deep into it because I want to dive into the actual text. But what I want to say is there's a lot of psalms where the writer of the psalm will complain, which I think is okay. It's spirit-led to complain about the situation that you're in or question why God is doing something. And then at the end of the psalm say, well, by the way, I know that you are still God. A lot of the psalms are that way. Psalm 62 is not one of those. Psalm 62, David, from the very beginning of the psalm to the very end of the psalm, is just constantly praising God and saying, you know what, life isn't fair, but I'm going to wait silently for my God. I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait for God to show up. I know that He will. I know that He's God. It's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 62. And uh, one of the things that I think made David such an amazing king, despite all of his failures, and he did really drop the ball. When you think about the fact that he committed, he committed adultery and then he was an accessory to murder to cover that up, you can see a man who's deeply flawed. But you know why God blessed his ministry? Because he was after his heart and he was after his presence and he waited on God. And I want you to think about this for those of you who have read the Old Testament and you know the stories of 1 and 2 Samuel. One of the reasons that David was put put in place as king was because the king that came before him could not wait. In the essence of time, I don't have time to go through the whole passage. Uh, but if you want to write this down and go back to it in your personal time, 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, chronicle the, uh, the story where King Saul, the first official king of Israel, is told to go and wait for Samuel the prophet to come and, and present the sacrifice to God so that God would fight on their behalf. And he waited and he waited and he waited and he did not wait long enough. He got impatient. He saw how the armies of Israel were being attacked and he said, I need God on my side. I know God said to wait for the prophet to show up, but I got to take matters into my own hands. And at the end of the passage, Samuel shows up and says this in verse 13, you have done foolishly. 
You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Right there, a man lost it all simply because he would not be patient and wait on the plan of God to unfold. And David, despite all of his sin, is a man who is blessed eternally because he's a man who knew how to wait on God. God is not in a hurry, and he doesn't want us to be either. David waited on the Lord. He waited for the glory of the Lord to be shown. He knew that all that he was needing in life, God would provide, but God would do it in his own time and not in ours. You know, we're going through a study on Sunday nights. Again, I'm not just shamelessly promoting this. This is our final week in it this week. But soul keeping, ministering to the human soul. Uh, The leader of that, John Ortberg, was reciting the quote of his famous... uh, mentor Dallas Willard and he said to Dallas Willard he called him on the phone one day when he was really busy and all these things were happening and he said I got to pastor a big church and I don't know how I'm going to get all this done in one day do you have any words of advice for me any words Dallas and Dallas Willard said one thing he said ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life now that does not mean a life of unproductivity all right, there are people who are not hurried, but they get a lot done. They just wait on the pace of God to do it. Jesus was pretty productive, would you not say? In three years of ministry, he did more than I could dare dream. But he spent a lot of time getting away. He spent a lot of time on his knees. He spent a lot of time clinging to the Father. He spent a lot of time saying, I don't do anything until the Father tells me to do it, and I'm going to wait on him to tell me. You know, that, if that's Jesus Christ and we follow him, we ought to follow his model of being patient. So as we walk through the text here, there's just three elements of this patience of the presence of God that I want to share today. And I want us to think about how this applies to our life. Okay, so number one, as we begin the passage in verse five, verses, verses five and six, let us look, number one, to be patient for God's presence by hoping in his promises. Be patient for God's presence by hoping in his promises. All right, look at verses five through six. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. So I think there's two things that we can talk about specifically when we talk about the promises of God. God makes many promises. And he fulfills all his promises. But there's two promises in particular that I want to talk about. And that is God's love and God's salvation. We can do without a lot of things, but if we don't have God's love and God's salvation, we're utterly lost. So I want to talk about God's love for a minute. We need a God who is not only for us, but we need a God who loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. You need that as much as you need the oxygen that is flowing in your lungs right now. You are wired to receive God's love. You need it to live. But there's an element of God's love that we don't understand. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you go to a wedding and you get ready to hear a scripture reading, go ahead and call out. We're going to have some responsive congregational response here this morning. 
What chapter of the Bible do they read at every wedding? 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I want to ask you a question. What is the first three words of that, of that verse? Love is what? Say it louder. Love is patient. That's the very first thing that God decided to use to define what love is. Think about that. Patient. God says, I am love. Not only what I do, but who I am. And if you want to know my love and know my presence, you need to know what my love is. And the first word he uses is the word patience. It's a patience that is rooted in trust. It's a patience that is, that is rooted in just believing that God knows everything you need and He will be there. But you have to wait. It's not easy. But you know, at the end of the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, He uses another word. And He says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And then, of course, it finishes with endures all, all things. Love never ends. So not only is love patient, but it's also a love that's rooted in hope. So patiently we wait, but we don't wait without anything to do. We wait in hope that God will be with us. We sit and wait. When you're waiting for something to happen, you have to say, God, you're in this. You know this. You will be with me. Now, God doesn't always promise the outcome that we desire, God promises He will walk with us in the very beginning to the very end. But we have to be patient and we have to hope in His love. There's nothing you're going through right now that God was not already aware of before you found out. Hope in His love. But we also hope in His salvation. We have a hope that this world cannot offer. We have a hope that this world is not all there is. David said, I am waiting for my salvation. My hope is built in the salvation that has been promised to me. And we know the fulfillment of that promise was made through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the words of the famous hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That hope lets me wait on God's presence. I want salvation to come now. I do. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'll preach the gospel as long as God will have me. There's some things in life I'd like to achieve. I'd like to write a, a Christian book. And I'd like to have more children, if God would permit that. Um, I'd like to see this church grow. I'd like to see a family life center on the other side of the property, bigger sanctuary, more people coming to faith in Jesus. Love to see all that. But the cry of my heart is, come Lord Jesus. But you know what? He may not come right now. It may not be this week. It may not be this year. It may not be for the next 50 years. It may not be while any of us are alive on this planet, but He is coming. And my hope is that when He does, everything will be as it should be. Until then, I wait. And I wait in hope. You know, I didn't even have this in my, I didn't have this in my thoughts until a second ago, but you know, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was 400 years of waiting the last prophet of Israel spoke and then was silenced. And Israel was waiting for a Messiah to come. And 400 years came and went before the Messiah came in Jesus Christ. 
that everyone who died waiting for God eventually got what they were promised when Jesus came. We're called to wait. What seems like it's taking forever is right on God's time. He's right where we, he wants us to be right now. So before I go on to point number two, let me ask, do you have this hope that God is near you? With what you're wrestling with right now. I was on the phone this week through text messages and phone calls with probably five or six families specifically in this church right now who are dealing with impending death of loved ones. Some because of old age, some because of cancer. And I'm telling you right now, I, 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 that pain is real and God is with you in that moment. But do you have hope that he will never leave you? Do you have hope that he loves you more than I can put into words? Do you have hope that this is not all there is? That there is a salvation beyond this earth? And that everything will finally make sense when we get to be with him forever? That's the hope that is rooted in the people who are patient in waiting for the presence of God. So, again, one, we're patient for God's presence by hoping in his promises. Number two, be patient for God's presence by resting in his provision. Resting in his provision. Verse 7 says this, On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. I think, I think David in this passage is talking about resting that God is going to provide three things. First, salvation. Second, a rock to lean on. And third, a refuge to be protected by. All right, salvation we just talked about. That's a, an earthly deliverance and a heavenly deliverance. David was waiting for salvation to be protected and delivered from his enemies. There was an earthly salvation, but there, even bigger than that, there was an eternal salvation. He knew that he was going to face God one day, and he knew he was a sinner. But he trusted in God that his sins would be forgiven by grace through faith. But then there's a rock, a foundation to lean on, building our lives upon the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, a rock to lean on when the rest of the world is crashing in around you. You know, we, we've been um, touched by several hurricanes the past few years, not like anybody in Florida or Texas has, but we've had a couple down pine trees and we've had power outages and we've run to safe places. And what do you do when you know the hurricane's fixing to come? You find a place that you can trust in, that you can lean in on, a place where a pine tree is not going to come crashing in and where you can survive without power for a few hours, you're looking for a rock. Jesus is our rock. Upon the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And then finally, a refuge, a place of protection, a place of renewal. When God's talked about a refuge, he's, also, he's the one who protects us from the world, but he's also the one that we go to when the world has beat us up. Sometimes we need a refuge. Sometimes waiting on God is sitting in a room in complete and utter silence. That's a spiritual discipline, silence and solitude. Sitting in a room in complete silence and just meditating on who God is. That's when we understand his presence in a new way. It's hard for us to do, especially Americans. We have gotten ourselves into one busy mess. But you know, I think about David again. I know David has been on my mind this whole passage because he was the one God inspired to write Psalm 62 and so many other psalms. But how about Psalm 23? I, th I think a few people in this room know Psalm 23. All right. What does he say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's right. He makes me lay down in green pastures. 
You know why? Because he knows the shepherd's going to give him everything he needs. He rests in his provision. Are you resting in God's provision? Do you have something that you feel like you need more than air you breathe and God has not given it to you? If he's not given it to you, do you think that God knows better than you do what you need? I promise you he does. I promise you he does. Finally, if we're patient for God's presence by hoping in his promises and by resting in his provision, we need to be patient for his presence by trusting in his plan. All right, verse 8 says this, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Let me tell you something. Uh, people tell on themselves. If you listen to someone talk long enough, you'll find out what they truly believe. All right, there may be someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian or who doesn't claim to have organized religion in their life. They don't belong to any denomination. They don't believe in Christianity. They just believe in a general God. You know some of the things those people say? Well, I know everything happens for a reason. I know that God's got a plan. And that when something goes wrong, all of a sudden they stop trusting that God has a plan. They stop trusting that everything happens for a reason. Because when everything goes wrong, they got no God to turn to because they don't know the real God. But if you're a Christian, you believe in the one true God, the eternal heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You believe in His Word and what it says is true and eternal. And you have a solid rock to lean on and a refuge to go to. And you can trust that God's plan is perfect and it will unfold exactly as He intends. Day to day, it makes no sense. Eternally, it will. You know, that's where... I don't want to get on a hobby horse with one or two minutes left here. That's where I get angry with prosperity gospel preachers on Christian television. I wish you could just take the word Christian out because it's not Christian television. It's not. And what they basically say is, if you trust in God's plan, His plan will be what you want it to be. You'll have great health. You'll have great wealth. You'll have the perfect job. You just have to trust in God's plan and everything will work out as you would want it to. And guess what happens? A faithful Christian goes through cancer and then they question if they didn't have enough faith. What a joke. God's word says something completely different. God's word not only tells us that we will suffer, he ordains for us to suffer, not because he doesn't love us, but strictly because he does love us. Because it's not in the sunshine, but in the storm that we draw close to him and he prepares us for all of eternity. I don't have time to go to it, but John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, talk about the life and death of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus. And it says in that chapter that news came to Jesus that Lazarus was dying. And then there's this one passage. In passage 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Mary or loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He heard his friend was sick, and instead of racing to his friend, he waited two more days to ensure that his friend would die. Why would he do that? Because he knew that when he showed up on the scene and he raised Lazarus from the dead, he would show people who God truly is. That Jesus as the Son of God has the power over death. And Christian television would say, Lazarus, you have faith. You have faith in the one true God. Amen. Do you receive it today? And Lazarus would have died and Mary and Martha would have said, guess he didn't have faith. 
but they didn't know what God knows. Jesus was coming with a resurrection. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you are dealing with death or separation or pain because people in your life are going through tragedy, Jesus is coming with a resurrection. Bank on it. May not happen on this side of heaven, but it's coming and it's real and it's true. What do we do in the meantime? The end of the passage says, pour out your heart to God. You want him to draw close to you and you're struggling with the patience for God to draw close. Pour out your heart to him. Admit to him what you're feeling. Admit to him what you're thinking and just ask him to draw close to you and then be patient for his response. God wants to be close to you. That's the whole point of the gospel. God wants to be close to you. He wants to be so close to you, He became one of you through His Son and then died and then rose again so that you could be with Him forever. But heaven does not have to start when you die. Heaven can start right now if you are patient and you wait on God. That brings us to our conclusion. So we sum all this up. How can we look at this biblically through the lens of Jesus Christ? I would say... We can learn to be patient for the Lord's presence when we celebrate his patience towards us as sinners saved by grace. You struggle for for God to show up. You're saying, where's God? Why is he not showing up? Why is he not working? Why why do I have to be patient? Because God was patient with you. If God was not a patient God, we would not be saved. We would not have eternity promised to us. Think about how old some of you were when you came to faith. I was 27 years old. For 27 years, God patiently endured my wicked sin and waited for the day that His Holy Spirit would move in my heart and I would respond in repentance and faith and all of those sins, past, present, and future, would finally be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a patient God. And He wants you to respond in patience. So take a look at what God has done and be patient that he is going to do all that needs to be done. Think about, you know, most of us are going through a Bible reading plan right now. We're just walking through Exodus and getting into Leviticus. If you're reading through the Bible and you're just getting through the first stories of the Old Testament, stop for a moment and see how many times God says, wait, be patient, be strong and of good courage. I will fight for you. I will be with you. I will go with you. You need only to do one thing. Be patient. Let us pray. God, again, patience is something that is better caught than taught. And the one you chose to preach this message is guilty as charged. Father, I want to know a closeness with you that I've never experienced, and I want that for everyone in this room. We need your patience, and we can't be patient except by the power of your Spirit. So, Father, I plead with you. Let your Holy Spirit descend upon the people of this room and the families they represent. And, Father, lead us into a deeper, more mature faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a faith that is willing to be patient and wait for you to work. And, Father, if there is even one soul in this room who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, You have been patiently waiting for them to respond. Send out your spirit to open their eyes. Send out your spirit to change their hearts. 
Send out your spirit to lead their tongue to confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. All these things we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.